Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Alright everybody, it is Tuesday, August 1st, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are not live, but we are here on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. No Twitter spaces today, because by the time you hear this, actually, it might be a little bit before, but by the time this goes the way, at the time the show normally starts, I will be getting ready to hop on a plane to Dallas, Texas for the Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz boxing match going down this Saturday. And I am very excited. The entire MMA Hour crew is going to be there as well. But we are doing a show. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for joining us. It's going to be a different kind of a show. We solicited some questions via Twitter, via social media, and we got about a handful of them. So we'll answer those questions. And also, earlier today as we record, I got to speak with the great Kenny Florian. He will be part of the broadcast on Friday for the first PFL playoffs event, which will feature the featherweights and the light heavyweights vying for a spot in the finals, chance to win a million dollars, main event Bubba Jenkins versus Jesus Pinedo. Other featherweight semifinal matchup, Gabriel Braga versus Chris Wade. And in the light heavyweight matchups, Josh Silvera versus Ty Flores. And we'll see Martin Hamlet versus former UFC middleweight contender, Impa Kasanganai. And there'll be other fights on the card as well. Keone Diggs fighting for the PFL against Elvin Espinoza. Desiree Yanez versus Lisa Malden is going to be a crazy fight. Anthony Ivey, former UFC fighter on the card against Carson Hardman. And there are 10 total fights. Prelims will be on ESPN+. Plus. Main card will start Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. I believe it'll still be on ESPN+, Plus as well. It's going to be in San Antonio. So go ahead and check that out. It's going to be a very busy weekend in the world of combat sports. We're coming off of an insane weekend this past weekend in the world of combat sports with Spence Crawford. That fight was, I mean, just crazy. What a performance from Bud Crawford. Getting it done against Errol Spence. We had UFC 291. Incredible knockout from Justin Gaethje against Dustin Poirier to win the BMF title. He will likely get the winner of the Islam Makachev-Charles Oliveira rematch coming heading going down in October at UFC 294. Alex Pereira. About to fight for his second title already in the UFC. Defeats Jan Bohovic. See a lot of people screaming robbery on that one. I'm not really sure why. I felt Pereira won that fight. Thought he won rounds two and three. I have no problem with the scorecard. I, I thought it was not like super clear, but even on the rewatch, 
I watched it a little earlier this morning as we record, and my score stays exactly the same. 29-28 Alex Pereira. He will likely go on and fight Yuri Prohashka maybe later on this year, maybe early next year for the vacant title. What a freaking fight that's going to be. Derek Lewis with the greatest free agency announcement of all time after knocking out Marcus Ruggieri to Lima. I talked to Kenny Florian about that. The potential, maybe, of him signing with the PFL. Could we get the Francis Ngannou-Derek Lewis rematch? Because I just don't see a world where that fight is stinky like the first one was. A lot of options for Derek Lewis. He's in great. He's in a great position. He says he hopes to re-sign with the UFC, but honestly, why would he re-sign? I know he's comfortable there and comfort's great, but... There's a lot of opportunity for Derek Lewis outside of the UFC, the PFO one in particular, getting a couple milli to fight Francis Ngannou, maybe get another big fight, maybe explore the world of bare-knuckle boxing. I just think there's a lot of money on the table for Derek Lewis right now, and he's probably on the back nine. He's he's getting up there in age, and he's over like Rover right now. So it's going to be a very interesting time for Derek Lewis. There's a couple of fights that I'd be interested in the UFC. Like if we can get the Jarzinho fight, I feel like that fight should have been made about 300 times by now. There's that one, but like what else is there? Does he fight like Andre Orlovsky? I don't want to see him fight Marcin Tybora. I don't really want to see him fight Alexander Romanov. I, maybe Pacaporta, that would be fun. But yeah. Going to be a, a very interesting time for Derek Lewis. What a performance. Maybe the, the best six minutes of UFC content I've seen in a long time between the flying knee, the finish, everything. Throwing, taking the shorts off, the crotch chops, the dancing, the free agency announcement, everything. Absolutely incredible. Bobby Green defeated Tony Ferguson, submits him in the third round. Kevin Holland submits Michael Chiesa in the first round. What a card that was. We had Bellator versus Ryzen. We had the Super Ryzen 2. Patricio Pitbull getting knocked out in one of the big upsets of the year. Just a crazy weekend, and it's going to be another very crazy weekend coming up with Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz. PFL, as I just mentioned. UFC's in Nashville for the Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font card. Tatiana Suarez versus Jessica Andrade on that card. It's a pretty good one. But there will be no shortage of combat sports action, that's for sure. So my conversation with Kenny Florian coming up a little bit later on, we talk about Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff. So we will get to that conversation at the tail end of the show. I did get some questions. So let's go to them right now. We'll start with Crystal, a longtime heck of a morning listener. She's usually always on the live streams and she submits a question. Her question is, Poetan, Alex Pereira, got the win via Splitty at 291. What do you think of his performance? And what do you think of Jan's comments about him being, quote-unquote, robbed of that W? Was Blahovich robbed? Was he robbed? No. It was a close fight. I thought Alex Pereira won. I gave it the respect of a rewatch just to make sure I wasn't crazy. And on the rewatch, I scored it exactly the same, 29-28. Look, you can get takedowns all you want, but if you don't do anything with them, it doesn't matter. And Alex Pereira, those leg kicks, everything he was doing, he just did more damage in the third round. I thought he won. I thought he won the fight. So I don't think he was robbed. If I'm Jan Bohovich, am I going to say I got hosed a little bit? Of course. And I think most competitors would do that. What do I think of Jan, of Alex Pereira's performance? Thought it was great. Thought it was great. Now, that was the only fight on the main card that went to a decision. And if you had asked me a couple days or even like 15 minutes before that fight happened, Alex Pereira is going to win, but he's going to be the only guy in the main card to not get a finish. I'd have been like, you're insane. There's no chance that happens. But I think we learned a lot about Alex Pereira. I think we've seen some evolution in his game. Yes, Jan Bohovic got very, very tired. And... Even on the rewatch, it was so funny because I laid out my prediction for that fight. I thought, you know what? Jan's going to have the first round like he, exactly like he had. He's going to get a, a take, nicely timed takedown in round two. Pereira's going to get up to his feet. Jan's going to be a little tired. He's going to shoot a lazy takedown attempt, and he's going to get flying kneed in the face. 
Didn't happen, but even on the rewatch, I was still on the edge of my seat. Like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. It's going to happen. My prediction is going to be, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it didn't, but still. Good stuff. Good performance. Alex Pereira fighting Yuri Prohashu is going to be absolutely insane. And I do not think Jan Bohovic got robbed. So good win for Alex Pereira. Learned a lot about him. And there you go. Next question. Uh, this is from Brent W. On Twitter, do you think the UFC needs to hype up the pressers a little more or spice them up in some way? It may just be the fact most of the latest fights were between some uh, more friendly acquaintances, but it seems lately that it has been dull. The pressers are tough, man. They're tough. And and those pressers are for the fans. It's for the fans to, to be in the same building as the fighters, to hear what they have to say, to see them face off. It's It's for the fans. It's not really for the media, um, and it's not even really for the fans who are watching the streams. It's more so for the fans that are in the local area. Last week's case, or this past weekend, the the Salt Lake City fans. Get them out. Get them seeing their, their fighters up on stage, the ones that they're going to be cheering for, the ones that perhaps they'll see compete. Even the fans that couldn't afford the high price tickets gives them something to do where they didn't have to pay a bunch of money to, to be in there with the fighters that they like. So I get it from that aspect. Now, from a media perspective, from a viewer perspective, watching it at home, boy, these are tough. They're tough. They're tough watches. The Some of the questions are rough. It's just, and I say this all the time, and I'm not, point, point, I'm not trying to like pinpoint anybody or, or talk crap. Just because you're there covering a card, and this isn't just for press conferences, it doesn't mean you have to ask a question. It does not mean that. If you have a question in mind, hey, if I get my chance, I'm going to ask this. If it's already been asked, then let's just move this along a little bit. And another problem is the the media day structure is just, it's, it's tough because we're getting scrums from all the fighters who are going to appear at the press conference. And most hardcore fans are going to watch those individual scrums, whether it's with us or on the UFC's YouTube or whatever, like what else, what different is there to ask them that you haven't already heard? So I really miss the the old style media days where the fighters would kind of sit in a chair and the media members could go up like one at a time and just do like quick five minute hits with as many as they can get to in the allotted time. And then the press conference just seems a little more interesting because you're hearing from everybody. But doing the media days the way we're doing them now, where it's just, we're scrumming them, it's, you don't get anything different. And at that point, they've already done the media days. They did media on Wednesday. Now they're doing the press conference on Thursday. And they're just like, oh, now I got to cut weight and get ready to fight on Friday. Like, it's tough. It's tough. Um, I'm not really sure how you can hype up the press conferences. They're just not really that enjoyable. It really just comes down to, can the pot be stirred? Can we get some sort of back and forth from somebody? And then will we get some interesting face-offs or anything like that? Because that's what it's all about. Other than that, I don't know how you fix the pressers. I just don't, I don't really see it. I don't really see it. Like I said, just going back sort of to the old media day style where you get one-on-ones with, with the fighters or you do like small scrums. Maybe that'll make things a little bit better, but... Other than that, I just kind of think this is what we're going to get. And, and look, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing from the UFC. The UFC is on cruise control right now in a lot of respects because they are winning the game. They are so far ahead of everybody else. They are making so much money that they don't really need to go the extra mile because they have nothing behind them, really. Like even Bellator and One and PFL, like they're trying to to move up the ladder, but they're battling for number two, but it's number two by a lot. Like the... Nothing is going to scare the UFC. Nothing is going to make them lose sleep. Even if PFL and Bellator merges, which I do talk to Kenny about a little bit, just to get his perspective on the the rumor and innuendo, the UFC is not going to lose an ounce of sleep over it. None. Because no one's going to touch them. And when you don't have competition, you can kind of cruise along and your branding is just so strong right now that you don't need to go out and do anything extra. So, excuse me. But that's where we're at right now. It's just, uh, 
it's just really what it is. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What else do we got here? Uh, let's go to Eric. Can anyone still argue that Father Time and the wars in the Octagon haven't caught up with Tony Ferguson? I think a lot of fans would like to see him retire right now, but if you could have a Robbie Lawler-style retirement fight slash send-off, who would you pick as Tony's opponent? So, look, I, I think we you can't argue against the Father Time and just the, the battles catching up to him. And I, I would point out the Justin Gaethje fight in particular, Justin just kind of took his soul that night and Tony hasn't really been able to get it back. And the best we can kind of hope for is flashes, right? We saw it in the Michael Chandler fight, dropped Michael Chandler in the first round. And then he got punted into the third row and just one of the nastiest knockouts you'll ever see. And even in this fight with Bobby green, I felt like Tony had a chance to win in hindsight. Tony didn't look very good. He looked real old and he just, it was just kind of tough to watch. Now I will say this. I feel like the eye poke changed the momentum of the fight. Now, do I think Bobby green would have lost if he didn't poke Tony Ferguson in the eye? No, I'm not saying that, but Tony was looking okay. He dropped Bobby green. Bobby wasn't fully recovered from that. Then the eye poke happens and Bobby green got three plus minutes to get his wits to him and the entire momentum of the fight changed from there. Am I saying that he did it on purpose? Of course not. Things happen, but that certainly played a factor in this fight. The entire momentum of it changed. So, and it's kind of unfortunate because Tony did come out and make a statement saying like, if I didn't get, essentially saying the eye poke kind of killed me and you can make that case because who knows how the rest of the fight would have gone. I still think Bobby would have got going and Probably still would have won that fight. But yeah, that eye poke was was tough. As far as what I want to see him next, if, if we're up to me, if I'm Tony, if Tony calls me and says, Mike, what should I do? I'd say, go ahead and retire. Call it a day. But if he's going to do another one, UFC 300, you do Tony Ferguson versus Joe Lozon, double retirement fight. It's a fight Tony can win. It's a fight Joe can win. And it'd just be kind of cool to see those two getting after it. Two guys who get after it. Joe Lozon likes to get things done real quick. Tony has looked good in first rounds, so I don't think that fight gets out of the first round. It'd be sad to see Tony lose. It'd be sad to see Joe lose, but at the same token, I think that's the kind of fight that would kind of let both of them know, like, this is it, and I think both would feel, damn, this is a pretty good opponent to have. So I would like that. I know AK is pushing for the patty fight, and... I just think that's long gone at this point. I don't think Patty gains a ton from it. Now, if they did that like a year ago, maybe, 
I just don't think Patty gains a whole lot from this anymore. And I kind of don't want to see it. I think Patty kind of just puts the boots to Tony and I just don't really want to see that. I hated it a little bit less, but then after watching what Bobby Green did to Tony on Saturday, I just, I just don't want to see it. It's worse than it was before. So I think Tony versus Joe Lozon's fine. Tony versus Jim Miller is fine. Somebody like that. I think we're on the vet tour. I don't want to see Tony fighting a Jalen Turner or anybody like that or Grant Dawson or one of these guys that are just going to probably just truck him. If he's got to do one more, let's give him a vet. And I'm cool with that. But yeah, it's tough to watch. These are pretty tough to watch. Uh, Scott McCrate, same question as I asked for Spence Crawford in UFC 291. Best guess of pay-per-view buys for Paul Diaz, and will it hit the 500K mark? Thanks, Mike. You guys killed it all last week. Most fun combat sports week for me this year. War Gaethje wore the highlight. Um, will it break 500K? I think it's got a chance. Now it's going to be on ESPN Plus pay-per-view as well. I do think it's going to hit 500K. Even the, like, the build to this fight this week is going to be pretty, pretty interesting. There's going to be, I mean, just a ton of coverage. You know, like I said, the MMA hour, we're all, like, I'm going to be out there. The entire MMA hour crew is going to be out there. There's going to be a couple of live shows. There's going to be just so much talk about the build to this fight. I do think it'll, it will break 500K. I think Nate's a big enough star to, to get it over that mark. So, yeah, I do. I do think it will hit 500K. Do, do I think it's going to do a million? God, no. But I could see it doing like six, 650. I could see it happening. And it's just hilarious that UFC Nashville is going to be on ESPN Plus and Jake Paul Nate Diaz is also going to be on ESPN Plus at the same exact time. So kind of ironic that that is happening. So yeah, I think it's gonna do pretty well. Sumo fall takes on Twitter. Who is the better opponent for Justin Gaethje, Charles or Islam? And which fight would you rather see? Hmm. I mean, I kind of want to see the Islam fight. I think Islam wins, but it's a fresh matchup. It's different. Um, but Oliver is a good one too. I, don't know, I think you can make cases for both. I think the freshest of Islam, Gaethje did do pretty well against Habib until he got stopped in the second. And I think he would have success against Islam in a lot of respects, especially with the, the striking, the leg kicks. I think he brings some different things to the table. I think he's much wiser yet still the chaos factor that he brings to each fight. So I'd, I'd be intrigued by that one. Um, but the Charles fight would just be a straight just car wreck in the best possible way. And I think Justin kind of wants that one back after feeling Charles's power and getting finished after looking so good in that fight. They can make a case for both. I think from a fan's perspective, I think most fans would rather see the Charles rematch because it's just, it's, it's just going to be guaranteed fireworks. Not saying the Islam fight can't, but I don't know. At this point, I look at Justin Gaethje kind of how I looked at Carlos Condit. I just feel that when it's all said and done, when Justin does decide to call it a career, I just don't want to just, I don't want to talk about Justin Gaethje without saying at some point he won the undisputed lightweight title. Like winning an interim title is cool. Winning the BMF title is cool, but not being able to say Justin Gaethje was an undisputed lightweight champion, it's going to be tough. And I feel like we're going to be talking about Dustin Poirier the same way, like in that respect, because I don't know if Dustin gets back. There's not really a whole lot of fights for Dustin at this point that I think would really get him up to continue on. Maybe Nate comes back and he fights Nate. I don't think he fights Colby. Maybe he does if there's a title on the line. Like if Colby beats Leon and asks for it, could he do that for his chance? Maybe. But, yeah. If Dustin's not going to get mentioned with that title, it's going to be really difficult 
to not mention Justin and Dustin as both both as fighters who never won the undisputed title. So what a performance. I mean, Justin just continues to evolve and get better. It's it's pretty incredible to watch. It's pretty incredible to watch. Uh, we had a lot a lot of people reach out talking about how much they enjoyed the watch party. It was so fun. It was so fun. Some people asking about Jamal Hill crapping on our light heavyweight rankings. Don't want to talk about that. Maybe I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we got another question here. Uh, where the heck is it? I just saw it. JSTAT504, frequent heck of a morning contributor. Uh, what's next for Gabriel Bonfim? Yes, he made very quick work of Trevin Giles. Good matchmaking there. I think it was, uh, it was just one of those showcase kinds of fights. Bonfim brothers are good. I think Gabriel has a little more upside, I think. Uh, who should he fight? Jake Matthews isn't a bad idea. Uh, Yuris Medich is kind of fun. I know it's kind of lazy matching guys up who fought on the same card. <sighs> Gunnar Nelson is interesting. But I think I'm going to go with Randy Brown. I I like the Randy Brown fight. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's test him. Let's see what he can do. Throw him in there with Randy Brown. I think that would be, I think he would be, he could hang. Even if he loses, like, okay, we, we took a shot and saw. But, I, like, even if Randy wins, I don't think it's one where he just absolutely annihilates him. But, yeah, I like, I like Randy Brown. I like Randy Brown a lot. So that could be, that could be a fun one. Um, do I want to address this Jamal Hill thing? The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Let me just pull it up for context. So as you record, Monday, uh, we, we did our ranking shakeup. And we talked about the light heavyweight rankings. And right now, we, we posted our new rankings. Yuri Prohashka, we have a number one. Vadim Nemkov, number two. Magomed Ankalaev, number three. Jamal Hill, number four. Alex Pereira, number five. And then it's Corey Anderson, Jan Bohovic, Rakic, Johnny Walker, Nikita Krylov, Phil Davis, Anthony Smith, Ryan Spann, Anatoly Malkin, Volkan Ozdemir. Now, just looking at this list, if there's one name that I feel is in a bad spot for sure, it's probably Anatoly Malkin. I think you probably should be a little bit higher on that list. If you, if, I mean, if you want to have Malkin as a top 10 205-er, I am not here to, to blame you at all. But Jamal Hill reacted to these rankings and said, quote, this is a casual fangirl rankings can there uh, no real fight experience behind this outlet? First of all, there is fight experience behind this outlet because Jose has fought and Casey Lydon still fights. Both uh, Casey's on the panel. So there you go. I know Jamal feels disrespected by the rankings. I think there are some fans as well who feel like Jamal is being a little disrespected and... Look, this isn't this ain't the UFC rankings, man. This is there's a lot that go into these. It's not just, well, who has the title and who does this and who does that. Like there's more to it than that. Like you can't just win a UFC title and you're automatically number 1. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And while I feel like Jamal Hill, I mean, look, the 
Let me just say this. The timing of his injury could not be any worse. It could not be any worse when it comes to this discussion. And if Jamal Hill feels disrespected, I get it. Like, I'm not here to argue with him. If you want to have Jamal Hill number two or number one, like, cool. I'm not here. Like, this is not to, to argue. Like, let me pull, I want to, let me pull up my rankings for context here. Let me pull up mine. I have Jamal Hill number four. So I'm right with the, I'm literally right with the rankings. Prahashka, Nemkov, Ankaliyev, Hill, Pereira. Jamal Hill won the title in a weird way. Like he, he beat the hell out of Glover Teixeira. Best performance of his career. The timing of his injury sucks because had he not gotten injured and had he beaten Yuri Prahashka, he would be number one with a bullet. He's 1,000% number one. He is. But he just, to me, he's just not there. Like, it's just very strange how he got to the title in the first place. And his wins, like, are fine. Paul, he lost to Paul Craig two years ago. Like, lost bad. Lost bad to Paul Craig. Then he knocks out Jimmy Crute, not a ranked guy anymore. Knocked out Johnny Walker, knocked out Tiago Santos, no longer in the UFC. And then he beat Glover Teixeira, who is retired in a fight that came together because Magomed Ankalaev and Jan Bohovic fought to a draw and Dana hated the fight. So let's take titles out of this. Let's take titles out of it. If you took titles out of this, would you have Jamal Hill as your number one light heavyweight in the world? It's a serious question. Would you have him as your number one light heavyweight in the world? Does he have number one potential? God, yeah. 100%. That Glover Teixeira win is going to age pretty well. He looked sensational. And I was getting real. I, I mean, I was officially tur- not saying that Jamal couldn't be like a champion and be a long reigning champion. The talent was always there. It was just kind of putting it all together. It seems like he was on the way of putting it all together. But I don't know. It's just it's just so weird how it all came together and not having him fight again since winning the title was tough. There's just a lot to it. And when you're torn on certain things, you have to put into account that this is, these, these are not UFC rankings. These are across the globe rankings. And let's just look at the names on this list. Right now, if I was to pick, if Jamal Hill wasn't hurt, if he fought Yuri Prohashka, who would I pick? I would pick Yuri. I would pick Yuri. I wouldn't be incredibly confident in that pick, but I would favor Yuri Prohashka to win that fight. Jamal Hill versus Vadim Nemkov. I would pick Vadim Nemkov. Jamal Hill versus Magomed Ankalaev. I would pick Magomed Ankalaev. Then we get to Alex Pereira. I would probably pick, I would probably yeah, excuse me. I would probably pick Jamal Hill in that fight, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Alex beat him. Corey Anderson versus Jamal Hill. Could you confidently pick Jamal Hill in that fight? Jan Bohovic versus Jamal Hill. I'd probably pick Jamal Hill, but am I running to the betting window with that pick? I don't know. And then I think he beats Rackets. He already beat Walker. I think he beats Krylov, Davis, Smith, Span, Ozdemir. Malkin is interesting. But I mean, I think like if you take titles out of it, I think I like I don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're that bad. I think you can make a case for, for Vadim Nemkov being number one. I think you can make a better case for Vadim Nemkov being number one than Jamal Hill. It's not just, well, this guy was the champion and he vacated. It's not like, like this is different. This is a different division altogether. I'm not going to rank Justin Gaethje number one because he won the BMF title. You can't do that. And there were times where Charles Oliveira, who was the lightweight champion, was not number one in our rankings. We had Dustin Poirier one for a while. I think we had Gaethje one for a, for a hot minute too. But it's not just, oh, you want a title. There's more that goes into it than that. 
And we had said this after Hill won the belt. His next fight is going to t- tell us everything. And I think we all said unanimously, Jamal Hill beats Yuri Prohashka. He's the number one guy. He's he's number one without question. There is no more debate. But to say you can't have a debate right now is just not true. It's just not true. So, I, I look, if I'm Jamal Hill, you want to come out and be angry? Go ahead. You want to feel disrespected? Cool. If that adds a chip on your shoulder, do it. Like, have that chip. That's good. It shows you care, and that's good. But I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with this. I don't. I think this is, a, if this is fair. I think this is fair. Jamal's a win away from being out of the top four. Being number two, probably number one. Because he's going to fight Yuri or Pereira next when he comes back. All you got to do is win one more. And then this isn't a conversation anymore. But just the way he won the belt and just what this division has been like since John Jones left, it's been a mess. This is more about the division than Jamal Hill. And as great as he looked against Glover Teixeira, he didn't beat Yuri Prohashka. He didn't beat Yuri that night. And Yuri, in most people's minds, is the number one light heavyweight. And until the time frame comes where he hadn't fought in 18 months, we have to pull him from the rankings, Yuri's number one. Like, I, I just, Yuri's the champ. Like, Yuri's the guy who ne- he never lost the belt in a fight. And I'm still convinced to this day that this wasn't Yuri being the samurai. I'm just going to vacate the title because it's the right thing to do. No, I don't think that's fully the case. And I think Yuri has pretty much said as much. I think he was kind of like, you know, I think there were conversations with the UFC and they're like, maybe go ahead and vacate the belt. We'll present it like this. It's like a coach. I I mentioned this to Terry Francona. Like the Red Sox are never going to fire Terry Francona. Even when they had a a couple of terrible seasons, they weren't going to fire Terry Francona. The dude was the head coach, was the manager of the Red Sox when they broke the curse and won a couple of World Series. But they're not going to come. Like the Red Sox, because of what he meant, was not going to come out and say, oh, we fired Terry Francona today. No, they're going to position it as we both agreed to part ways, even though he was fired. And that's what this was like. Look, dude, we're gonna we're just gonna take the belt off you, and but let's put it in a position where like you volunteered to do it, and it makes you look better. And Yuri's kind of said that much as well, without actually saying it. And now Jamal's doing the same thing, and I just don't think there's that big of a problem with putting Jamal Hill at number four. I he didn't beat number one. Yuri's not still number one. Yuri didn't lose the title in a fight. And he hasn't, we have not passed the 18 month window yet. So to me, Yuri's still number one. Now, if you want to put Jamal, like, I just don't, I don't love Jamal Hill versus Anka Live in a fight. Like, I think those two are pretty even. Vadim Nemkov might just be the best light heavyweight in the world, but he's in Bellator. But we know skill for skill, he's right up there. Like, I, I don't think this is that disrespectful. I really don't. But again, I have no issue with Jamal being upset about it. But it's, we're having the same conversation we had in January. We've already done this. Nothing has really changed. The only thing that has changed in these rankings is that Vadim Nemkov took a bit of a jump after he ran over Corey Anderson. And Alex Pereira beating Jan Bohovic bumped him up to number five. Like that's really been the only big change since January. So I, I don't know I don't know why this is an issue now. It's not like it's not like Jamal was number one that we dropped him to number four. No, Yuri's been number one with us for a while now. Since he won the title. So until you beat him, no one can be number one. If Alex Pereira beats Yuri Prahashka, he's gonna be number one. Because he beat the number one guy. Jamal Hill did not beat the number one guy. He did win the UFC title, and that's great. And he made a big leap from where he was, but he didn't beat the number one guy. So I don't understand why it's a huge problem. 
But hey, this is what this is all about. You're allowed to have your opinion. I stand by putting Jamal Hill at number four. No one's going to change my mind except for Jamal Hill. You come back, you beat either Yuri or Alex, whoever is the champion when you return, you go out there and you beat them for the belt, you're number one. Plain and simple. That's it. The number one guy was beaten by you, so you're number one. That's how it's going to work. And that's how it worked. Just because you win a UFC title in a weird way when there was no champion and you beat a guy who was going to retire no matter what, who was not the number one ranked light heavyweight, that doesn't just guarantee you number one. This is the only division where we do this. Where we've done it in the past. Like I said, perfect example. Charles Oliveira was the lightweight champion for a hot minute. And I don't think he was... A, I think he got to number one after he beat Justin Gaethje. But he wasn't before. There was a, a stretch of time when he was the champion that he wasn't ranked number one. The title's great, and it's going to give you some points. But it's not everything in our rankings. So there you go. I, I mean, I, I have a ton of respect for Jamal Hill. And again, I respect his opinion. Could have went about it a different way. But, oh well. I don't care. At the end of the day. Stand by it. That certainly isn't going to change my mind. And like I said, the only thing that's going to change my mind is him beating the number, is beating Yuri Prohashka or Alex Pereira. Whoever's the champ, when he comes back, you beat them, you're number one. That's it. That's it. All right, we are at about 35 minutes here, a little over. So we are going to move on uh, to the interview portion of the show. We're going to try to come back on Thursday, hop on the Twitter spaces, and, and do another live show. I don't really know how any of this week is going to go. It's going to be absolutely wild. But we will try to get a show on Thursday. We'll try to do a show on Friday and kind of go back to the normal as best as we can here while I am in Dallas, Texas. So thank you all for checking this out. Thank you all for bearing with me on a travel day and throwing out some questions. But right now we will cap off the show with my conversation with former UFC title challenger, the co-host of the Anakin Florian podcast, tremendous analyst. He's part of the broadcast team for the Professional Fighters League. He'll be calling the action this Friday as the PFL playoffs begin. We leave you with my conversation with the great Ken Flo, Kenny Florian. Have a great rest of your day. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody. All right, it is great to chat with my fellow Bostonian turned Southeast resident, Kenny Florian, the PFL back on Friday. The playoffs begin in San Antonio, Texas. We got featherweights, we got light heavyweights, Bubba Jenkins versus Jesus Pinedo headlining. A lot to discuss with Ken Flo. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you, man? It's great to see you. You and I have not spoken since I pre MMA fighting when I was doing the job that Cody Mero is doing way better than, than I used to <laughs> oh, do <stop>. on Anakin <laughs> Florian. Yeah. Well, um, you're on, you're on, you're on to uh, bigger and better things, my friend. Congratulations. Yeah. And, and same with you guys, you guys are great. all over the place. It's uh, it's incredible to see, but it's great to have you here. Very busy weekend ahead and PFL gets to set the table with the festivities on Friday because it's playoff time. And man, between last weekend and now this weekend, it is a pretty darn good time to be a con combat sports fan, is it not? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and, and it's always exciting anytime the playoffs come around for the PFL. Uh, it's always exciting for us. Um, obviously, an amazing card this past Saturday night for the UFC. And uh, I, I think there should be some great fireworks this week and, and the following weeks to come with the other uh, the rest of the playoffs. Absolutely. And, and Bubba Jenkins, as I mentioned, the main event, just he's just been an incredible story for the PFL made it to the finals last year, gets finished by Brennan Lochnane. And now he's knocking on the door of that million dollar prize again. And this man just has perseverance to the nines because a lot of fighters would probably be down in the dumps, like getting so close and just coming up short. And Bubba just never says die ever. It seems. So what have you made of, of his run this season, getting back to a playoff spot and this matchup with, with Jesus on Friday? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, 
as far as criticism of Bubba Jenkins, it's never been about his potential and his talent. He is so dang talented, and he comes from that awesome wrestling pedigree. Um, and I, I think that um, in certain spots, he's lacked experience and composure. Um, and every time we see him, it seems like he's adding a new wrinkle to his game. He's been working in the offseason. He genuinely is trying to get better as a mixed martial arts fighter. And you could see that, you know, um, I think this year, I think what's been most impressive is his finishing ability. He would get to certain great positions to finish in previous seasons, but he didn't quite have that ability to finish. You could see he's been working on his submissions. He's been working on his striking. Um, and he just seems more, I guess, um, genuinely confident, you know, as opposed to just talking. He seems more genuinely confident. He seems more genuinely composed in the cage now in the PFL. So I think it's all coming together for him at the right time. And um, this year, it's been hard for me to find any weakness uh, in his game. So he's been looking very, very sharp. Obviously, being a part of this, getting the chance to win the million dollars and get through a season and win it all, it means something to every single fighter. But for Baba in particular, if he can get over that hump, because that's been the thing. Like he gets so close, he knocks on the door, but he just hasn't been able to get over that hump. Yes. Being around this guy, what do you like? Obviously, the million dollars can change lives, but yeah. what do you think just the victory and getting and winning it all and, and getting a title? What do you think that would mean to him in the long run? I think it would be huge for him. I, you know, having been there as the guy who has been, um, you know, second place a, a few times in my career, you know, where everyone's kind of asking you, Hey, this is your first time or your second time or your third time at a world championship. You know, what's going to be different. I can imagine that question probably is getting old, but it, it is valid nonetheless. Right. So I think that is always going to be in the back of your mind, you know, am I going to come through and finally win it this time? And there's so much that goes on, of course, in mixed martial arts, both inside the cage, outside of the cage, and getting all those ingredients right can be very difficult. And then if they're not right, being able to pull off that win is extremely difficult. So I think that, um, you know, as far as his maturity, as far as his team, as far as his experience, I think that time is now for sure. I, I think he's got to be the favorite in that division at this stage of the game. Um, he is fighting a very tough guy in Jesus Pinedo, who is coming off a massive one, one of the biggest upsets in mixed martial arts this year, in my opinion, uh, when he defeated Brendan Lockname by knockout in round one. So, you know, I think he's got the right style. His wrestling is always going to be a factor, no matter who he's going against. He has the ability to put you on your back. He now has the ability to control you there. And as I mentioned before, he's got the ability to finish. So for him, hearing all those questions about when are you going to get it done, all that stuff, I think he wants to put that to rest and finally win that big one. Uh, not only is it huge for him financially, but anytime you can win a major mixed martial arts title, um, it's huge for you in your career, right? It leads to bigger and better things always. And uh, I, I think that's what Bubba is probably focusing, focusing on right now. You want that as a part of your legacy. Whether it's MMA or just life in general, you don't get a lot of second chances. And Chris yes. Wade gets himself a second chance. He's back in the playoffs, has a chance to get to the finals, taking on Gabriel Braga. Braga is just, this guy's tougher than a $2 steak, man. Undefeated, has a win over one half of the main event. He has a win over Pinedo. Finished Marlon Marais in June in what, at least right now, seems like Marlon's final opponent of his career. This is a real interesting fight. We got youth versus the experience with the stakes very, very high here. What are you looking forward to when these two guys get into the smart cage and battle it out? Yeah, I think for Chris, he's got such great perspective on on the fight game and has certainly made his share of improvements over the years as I've watched him. And I think he sees this as a big, big opportunity to get back into the final and finally win one himself, similar to Bubba Jenkins, and perhaps get revenge uh, uh, against Bubba in the final. So I, I know he's going to be coming in here extremely motivated, in great shape. Um, and, you know, I, I think he, in a lot of ways, similar to Bubba, has been putting together a game that that is very tough to beat. Now, he is facing, as you mentioned, a very tough Brazilian fighter, a young fighter uh, out of Brazil, Gabriel Braga. I actually used to train with his father way back in the day uh, over in Rio de Janeiro. So, you know, ha these are the kind of guys that we're seeing now. It's like my dad was a professional fighter. He's brought me up since I was a kid to learn how to fight. And, and the level is just insane. 
when he came into the Challenger Series in Orlando at the beginning of this year, he was telling everybody, I'm going to win my fight, I'm going to get into the PFL season, and I'm going to win the million dollars. He's like, that's what I'm doing. And he came in undefeated, and I said, well, certainly he has a lot of potential. He's got some great skills. Can he do it in the PFL? He just keeps getting better and better. Uh, so I don't think this is one guy that you want to doubt at this stage of the game. He's facing a guy with a ton of experience, a Chris Wade, uh, tough wrestler, of course. I'm curious to see how he handles the wrestling of Chris Wade. If he can handle the wrestling of Chris Wade, then I think that his striking will, will start to shine out there. But it's a very tough matchup for both sides. Uh, and, and can't wait to see it. Yeah, light heavyweight matchup. Sometimes you just you just need a fresh coat of paint. And I think Impa Kansang and I has found that fresh coat of paint. I mean, he's on the wrong end of one of the craziest highlight reel finishes you'll ever see in the yes. sport. He's looked real good in a new weight class at 205 and a new promotion with the PFL taking on Martin Hamlin, who's just just a go-getter, and Josh Silvera taking on Ty Flores. What stands out about these two particular matchups at 205 pounds heading into Friday? Yeah, I thought I thought you put it really well. I think for Impa. You know, he's one of those guys, he's very stoic. Um, he, he doesn't get too high with the highs, doesn't get too low with the lows. I think that's the right attitude and mindset that you need in mixed martial arts because it is such a roller coaster ride. Um, and I think while he's a little bit undersized and certainly undersized in this matchup against Martin Hamlet in 205 at 205 pounds, I do think he has the right mix of experience and speed. And that's what he's going to have to exploit. He'll have that speed advantage. He'll have a lower center of gravity going against Martin Hamlet, who's going to be much taller, much bigger. So it's going to be tougher for Martin Hamlet in some ways to take him down uh, because he's got to get underneath that low center of gravity uh, of Impa Kasanganai. So Impa is a tremendous athlete. He's got to use that speed and he's got to stop the takedowns. And for Martin Hamlet, he's got to find a way to use that size, use that experience, um, and, and he's got to be effective at long range against someone like Impa. So um, I think Martin Hamlet does his best work up against the cage where he can hit his takedowns, um, and he's another guy that really needs to be in the right uh, frame of mind. Sometimes it's, I, I feel like he gets in his head a little bit um, and suffers from that, but uh, I, I think now in his third season, I believe he, he should have that right mix and we should see him at his best, but uh, this is another tough one to pick. Yeah. There's a lot of these across the board, even some of the prelim fights like Desiree Yanez, Lisa Malden's is going to be absolutely yes. ridiculous. <laughs> yes, I can't wait for that fight. And then after Friday, you guys take a couple weeks off. You head to New York for the final two playoff events because PFL yep. is making some moves and perhaps, Another big move could be made after Saturday's UFC card because freaking Derek Lewis, man, flying knee, 33-second finish to Marcos Rogerio de Lima. He took the shorts off. He's throwing the cup. He's doing the dancing. He's doing the crotch chops. And then, in my opinion, this is the greatest free agency announcement in the history of the sport. And something that the PFL certainly would be interested in, one would assume yeah. they've already put out a tweet about it, with Francis Ngato getting set to make his promotional debut early next year. Kenny Florian, Derek Lewis to the PFL for Lewis Ngannou too. I assume you foresee at least a conversation coming between Derek Lewis and the brass. And I would love to be in that room just to hear what these two guys and all of the brass have to say to him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there with what you said, but you know, Derek Lewis is, is one of the most likable guys in the UFC. It was great to see him get a knockout win in his final fight on his contract in the UFC, which I actually was not aware of. Me neither. Um, but yeah, I think I think a lot of it took a lot of people by surprise, but that's the way you do it. And Sometimes when you're on a losing streak, it, it tends to get people to not let their hands go, right, and be a little bit more conservative. I just want to get the win, you know, get out here. No matter what it takes, I just want to get a win here. Um, but, no, he actually went for it, went for that flying knee, which landed beautifully. And to have someone like Derek Lewis in the PFL would, PFL would be huge. You mentioned it being a great time to be a mixed martial arts fan. It's also a great time to be a mixed martial arts professional fighter as well because you have more options. And I think you know, anytime you can increase your value like that, I think it's huge. Derek Lewis, great personality, exciting fighter to watch. He comes to fight all the time. Um, and that could potentially be a, an interesting signing for the PFL for sure. Obviously, you know, has that history with Francis Ngannou. Ngannou is looking for another, uh, you know, opponent uh for early next year and and perhaps Derek Lewis is that guy. So uh, I'm curious to see how it goes, but yeah, you got to be happy for someone like Derek Lewis, one of the great personalities of the sport. I know the first fight kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths. They, everyone yeah. came in, oh, there's no way this could be a bad fight. It ended up being the fight that it was. Yes. And we don't need to really go back and, and relive that one, but yeah. 
there's just no way that happens again, right? If 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 somehow the PFL could pull this off, we get in Ghana Lewis too. There's just no chance that this happens that way again, right? I would think so. I mean, just based on the way that these guys fight and also them knowing full well what happened in that first fight, I, I think um yeah, one of those guys would have to be knocked out. I mean, I now I did say that the first time around. Um, but yeah, I mean that that I think was kind of a unicorn flight. Uh very, very unusual. Yeah, Francis is just in a weird place after losing to Stipe. And, he, yeah. you know, he's talked about being a little gun shy and stuff. And Derek's right. just going to be like, well, I mean, if this is the fight you're going to give me, then I'll just get that W. But you, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago about a great time being for not just for fans, but for fighters right now because yeah. of the options. And I'm sure you've heard the rubblings. Ray Seppo has talked about it. Scott Coker has talked about it. There's yes. rumor and innuendo about a possible merger between the PFL and, and Bellator. So I haven't talked to you in forever. If this happens, how do you think this would work? Like, like if you had to say, they said, Kenny, you're going to be the commissioner of the merger. What would this look like to you? Yeah, interesting question, man. I, I don't have any inside information on how it would look. But for me, you're asking me, yeah, I... I think you'd have to have it under one banner. I eventually anyway. I, I think, you know, with the UFC at certain point, they were running WEC simultaneously, strike force simultaneously, I believe. Um, and then eventually it was absorbed into one organization, the UFC. I, I think that's what you'd have to do with the PFL. And I'm I'm sure it's also dependent on how the network deals go as well from a business perspective. But um I would want everything to fall under one umbrella and um perhaps it would also change the dynamic of of the you know regular season and playoffs you know because you do have these you know a, a full roster of fighters that could potentially double triple or even quadruple this the size of, of the pfl right now so um I'd be curious to see how it goes down, but I, I think that things would get very more, uh, very uh, interesting from a competitive perspective when you take into account UFC and all that stuff. And if you're going to go big, go big. And I think that's one way the PFL can do it is getting all the great fighters over from the Bellator uh, and bringing over all the most exciting fighters from Bellator um, and just making it kind of like a, a new super league and putting on, the fights that people want to see the PFL is trying to put together, you know, this kind of new super league, right. With the PFL pay-per-view. And if you're going to do that, you, you're going to need a lot of big names and Bellator has established uh, some great stars, um, a lot of big names. And I, I think it would just make things that much more interesting uh, if they were to merge. So I, I'm excited to see how it all goes down. If it goes down. Uh, so yeah, time will tell. Yeah, man. Like, it'd just be really cool if it happened and somehow we kind of like kept it. A, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, like putting it all together and making one big super league, but you kind of yeah. want to keep like the Bellator banner alive somehow, because for a long time I've been, I've been touting like a world cup of MMA, like some sort of just massive thing. And if right. we could somehow get, you know, Bellator and PFL and Ryzen, and we just do like this, these mega events and these crossover events, like it's just really cool. Like, one thing I, I say about the UFC all the time is like, they are just killing it. They're winning the game and they have great fighters and they put on a great product that people watch, but it just seems like they just are who they are. And it's very rare that they go out of the box and do something fun. This has the potential of creating a lot of fun and different ideas in the sport. And I just think that'd be really interesting from that perspective to see like PFL versus Bellator. Like we could actually do this now. PFL versus Ryzen, et cetera. Like it's a really interesting opportunity should this happen. No question. And I think one thing about Pete Murray um, uh, is that he he's very open-minded. Um, and I, I think that, and, and Don Davis as well, you know, they're willing to, to think outside the box and do unusual things, as you mentioned. And, you know, I think, to make the case even stronger, if you have a long-term plan in anything you do, especially with something like the fight game, you know you need a lot of competition, and you, which means you need more fighters. And you know, putting on as many fights uh, that are exciting and interesting—that's the goal of every promoter and every promotion. And I think uh, w with a potential merger with the guys over at Bellator, I, I think that's how you do it. So uh, I, I, again, very curious to see. Uh, if it goes down and how it all goes down. Another man that is 
been attached to the PFL for a little while. Jake Paul getting ready to box Nathan Diaz in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this, man? Like a, a lot of people are saying, well, Jake's going to be the bigger fighter. He's younger. He's more athletic. And Nate's just a dog. How do you, how do you see this one going down? We were just discussing this over at the Anakin Florian podcast. I, I think it's fascinating for a couple different reasons. First of all, I, I, I think that one of the strongest parts of Nate Diaz's game has been his boxing, right? Um, and I, I think he's also wanted to box for so long. First of all, Jake also is, it deserves a lot of credit for doing what he's been doing. He could be a millionaire doing his YouTube thing. No, he decided to earn it in a very difficult manner, which is the you know professional fight game. And he, he's done very well for himself. Um, I, he surprised me anyway. Um, big, strong kid. He's tough. He's training right. He's got a good team around him um, and has been calling out the right fighters for the most part uh, so far. He's calling out a big name, Nate Diaz. He's going to bring in a lot of viewers. And I also think it's interesting that it's a 10-round fight, not a six-round fight. I think that's an advantage to Nate Diaz, certainly. Um, so I also think a mixed martial arts camp at this stage of the game can definitely be have a lot of wear and tear on your body. Nate Diaz has been around the game for a long time. I think this is probably a welcome change of just having to really deal with boxing for a camp. So I think Nate Diaz has some advantages heading into this fight, and I would certainly have him as a favorite against Jake Paul. But Jake Paul early on, first three rounds, he's going to be extremely dangerous. He's got knockout power. Uh, Nate's got to watch out for those big shots. But late in the game, I think that's where Nate Diaz can get that legendary motor going. Uh, He's also, of course, known for that durability and that chin uh, and his high-volume boxing. And, and he just gets stronger and stronger as the fight goes on, it seems. So um, I, I would have Nate Diaz as a favorite, but Jake Paul uh, is going to be tough to take out as well. You mentioned Don Davis, and some some may call him naive with some of the things he says, but he's aggressive. The man is aggressive, yeah. and he's confident yeah. in his product, and, and you can't take that away from him. And he has put it out there that he has offered Jake Paul and Nate Diaz a big sum of money to – you know, after the boxing match, come on over to the PFL and and do it in the MMA cage. And obviously Nate would be a gigantic favorite in that, but Jake doesn't seem to care. He's willing to put himself out there and, and take these types of chances. Could we see this happen in the PFL? Like, do you, do you have any confidence that a guy like Nate, because it seems like he might want to go back to the UFC, but money right. talks and this would be a really interesting series of fights. People talk the crossover all the time. Well, I'll do boxing if you come over and do MMA and the boxer will be like, yeah, I'll do it. And then it never happens. Right. Could this be the one that changes the narrative? I think so. And I think that's what makes it so intriguing, right? It's like you have, you have a one shot of boxing. That's what I do. That's what I've been focusing on. Now coming over to my sport, mixed martial arts. And as you uh, very intelligently mentioned, yeah, we haven't had that. Now we can actually have that. I do think it's feasible. I do think it's possible that uh, we could see it maybe uh, as early as 2024. And again, if you're going to do a pay-per-view, you want stars, you want big names. And Nate Diaz definitely fits the bill, as does Jake Paul. Yes. Well, Excited to hear you back on the on the call this Friday, August 4th, the kickoff of the PFL playoffs, San Antonio, Texas, ESPN Plus, ESPN. You can watch all the action. And let me just say this, Kenny, the combination between you, Randy Couture, and, and Sean, what a trio, man. It, like, it just Thank seems you, like you guys gelled right away. There's just, it doesn't even seem like work when I listen to you guys <laughs> chat. Like, do you feel that way sometimes? We have an absolute blast. And for whatever reason, Randy and Sean tend to like me. So even though I, I, I harass them all the time, no, we, we have a blast, man. Sean is absolutely hilarious. People don't get a chance to see how funny he is. And, and Randy, man, he's the most chill and the coolest uh, operator in town, man. Just a, a cool guy who I love to work with, love to pick his brain, love to talk with him. And uh, we, we have a blast, man. We're like, we're like kids in a candy store when we call fights. So thank thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely. And you get, you, you get the, to pick the brain of Sean and John Anik. I mean, you're just in a, in a tremendous spot, Kenny. And uh, looking <laughs> forward to hearing you on the broadcast this Friday. Thank you for the time. Let's not make it so long before we do this again, Kenny. How Absolutely, man. Anytime, brother. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. 
and Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.